If you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23. We are, as far as the timeline of Jesus' life, in the final days. Actually, as you're turning to verse 20, it tells us in chapter 26. I'll just read so you know where we're at. It came to pass... When Jesus had finished these sayings, he says to his disciples, Will you know that after two days is the feast of Passover, and the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and crucified? So Jesus himself tells us that where we're at right now, studying the life and the ministry of the Lord, um, we're just days away from him uh, uh, being crucified. It doesn't mean it's just two more Sundays and we're going to be done. It just, uh, in fact, um, we're probably going to be in Matthew for just maybe a couple more weeks here. And uh, but uh, we come to a very interesting passage. Can you get, get rid of that ringing? I feel like I feel like somebody's talking back at me, and that can be dangerous. I'm sorry, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not after their works, for they say and they do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. They lay on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the border of their garments. They love the utmost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the market and to be called men, rabbi, rabbi. He says, but you be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is great among you shall be your servant shall exalt himself shall be abased and he that humbles himself shall be exalted now I'm not sure if we're going to be able to get into the woes today might but uh, let's just pray over those 12 verses and we'll just see where the Holy Spirit takes us would you please stand with me and let's pray Father, thank you again for your word. And, and Lord, it is kind of sobering. Lord, it does kind of cause us to tap the brake, as it were, when we think that this is your one of your last final message or messages given before you were to die. So I pray, Father, as we look at it, we would also have a sense of what was in your heart and what you looked at and what you sensed. So again, Father, that's why we say that your word is 
And we are in desperate need of your Holy Spirit to be the one that would take us through this. To speak to our hearts. Whether you speak to us together as a church body, a family. Or maybe it's just individual. As a um, son or a daughter. Maybe it is time, as it were, you would just come and speak to us privately in our hearts. But one or the other, Lord, we're just asking for that anointing upon your word. You might be able to feast on it and glean from it, be changed by it. So again, we yield our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said together, amen and amen, you know. Uh, again, um, days away from the cross, it is chapter 23 and 24, probably given in the same day, um, his last final message to, to his followers. And uh, we know he does this in Jerusalem. He had entered days before into Jerusalem when people were praising him and 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 worshiping as king, singing Hosanna, you know. And but we know a um, little later on they're going to be calling for his life. And the reason for that is because they just didn't have a proper, correct um, view of the Messiah. Again, they had thought that when the Messiah would come, he would come as some kind of king riding in on a stallion and. He was going to return the scepter back to Judah. In other words, to give them the right to rule and reign themselves just to get rid of Rome. But here he comes in on this beast of burden, a donkey. And he's weeping as soon as he sees the temple. He's literally shaking um, within himself. You know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know. If you had only known that this was your hour, we did that study before. And and you would think that as he comes in, the message, because it's the final one, man, the enemy is brutal. I don't know what it was, but it looked like Beelzebub. And, um, and you would think that is about salvation. Because you and I, when we think about Christ, the Messiah... Him dying on the cross. I mean that would be the most important thing. You would think. But it's not a message about salvation. In fact when you read these two chapters. It's more of a message of condemnation. And not exhortation. I mean we read through it. We're going to be exhorted not to be following a false religious system. But he comes up with eight woes. You know. He comes into ministry in Matthew chapter 5. And we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are they that, that are poor. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Blessed are they that are persecuted. And goes on and on. And it's amazing to me. And I'll probably say this a couple of times. Because it really blew my mind. That when he comes in. Matthew 5. Beginning his ministry. He delivers eight Beatitudes attitudes what we should be you know this is how we should look at spirituality christendom our walk with the lord blessed are they that mourn blessed are they that are poor blessed you know and when he finishes his last message here in these two chapters 
it's the bad attitudes, not the B attitudes, it's the bad attitudes, attitudes that we shouldn't have. And there's eight of them. So there's eight beatitudes and eight woes, not one not to be like. And I, I kind of wondered why, you know. And, uh, but then I, I started thinking about Paul and how Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 would warn people that after his departure there would be people who would come in and, and devour the work of God, you know. He did it in Acts chapter 20. Uh, where he warned about people coming in with false religious systems and false teachers. Um, Peter does it in his epistle. Jude would really spell it out in, that in the last days, speaking of, of our season, uh, the last days that there would be false teachers, false religious systems that would come in unawares, is the old King James meaning. They, they would come in in stealth mode. And the reason come in in stealth mode is because they, they're disguised as a religious system, you know, and it's for you. And, I, and the only way that we're not, we're not going to be duped by a false religious system in the last days is to know the Word of God and to understand the heart of Christ and why he's warning his, his, his followers, watch out about <clears throat> these Pharisees and watch out about these scribes and watch out about the Sadducees. These false, this false system, you know, they prance around, they walk around like they know God, but their hearts are so far from the truth of God. And it's the same, it's the same thing today. There are people who walk around like they, you know, that they represent God, but, you know, there's just something wrong. There's a pride, there's arrogance. There's this self-entitlement kind of thing. And, and we'll see that as we go through this. Um, and so the warning that Jesus gives the disciples, his followers, are the same warnings that he, we have today. And, um, and so chapter 23, again, or the chapter uh, 22, we see where Jesus is being inspected. And the way they're inspecting Christ in these last hours of his life is by just firing questions at him. If you remember the first, I think it was verse 17, where it says, you know, um, is it right? Uh, let me see if I can, I don't want to. Uh, first question was in verse 17. Oh, is it lawful to pay um, taxes, tribute? And of course, Jesus answered that question. Then the second question after that in verse 28 um, in the resurrection is their marriage. You know, and he says, you just don't understand the scripture. Then the last one in verse 36 where um, they asked, what is the best or the, the most important commandment, the number one commandment? And of course... Um, Jesus gave them the, the Shema, or the, the Shema, um, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength, and love your neighbor. And then Jesus said, and, and also love your neighbor as yourself. Now the one who was being, was being becomes the inspector. Now he is going to, in fact, he even said to them at the latter part of chapter twenty. Two, uh, let me ask you a question. What do you guys think? 
um, um, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, who is he going to be? And he said, well, he'll be the son of David. And then Jesus said, well, if that's the case, then why would David ever call him Lord? Because that's against their culture. And now they can't answer Okay, he's got to be more than just for the genealogy of David. So then Jesus, we pick it up here in chapter 23. Jesus speaks to the multitude and to his disciples. And the th- thing he says about this, again, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Now, again, I think it's important that we understand what is a Pharisee and what is a Sadducee. We make jokes about it. You know, what, what's, what's a Sadducee? Well, he's a person. You see, and you know we kind of we kind of make it, make fun of that he's the liberal. He doesn't believe anything. But listen, you you, you look at the, what a Pharisee is. You look what a Sadducee, and even a scribe. They are the intellect. They're the ones who study the scriptures all the time. If you had a problem with the Bible, you would go them. You go to them. They were the copyists. They would copy all the texts. They they had one who would copy, and then they would have one who would go back and make sure he copied it correctly. And so they knew the, the, the word here, but they didn't know it here. The Pharisees, they were very uh, pharisaic within their attitudes and their, 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 their ideology. They were, they were the, the ones who claimed that they could keep all, you know, 618 laws. You know, the 248 that were negative and the 365 that were positive. And, you know, they've got it. You know, even Paul, who was a, a righteous Pharisee, claimed that he could do that very thing. And, um, and of course, his testimony said, well, <laughs> then I looked at the thou shalt not covet and found out he couldn't keep it. But be that as it may, you know, um, that, that's fact. And the reason why I, I bring this again to our attention, and, and I say this with tender, and I say this with a mirror in front of me, looking at myself. It's so easy to be a Pharisee. You know, to think that I am right. You are wrong. I've got it together. You don't have it together. To elevate yourself above another person. It's, it's Pharisee. We can, we, can, we can flaunt with the idea of being a Sadducee where we don't take the word of God literally. You know, you know well, that was for back in Paul's day. It's not applicable today. That's a Sadducee. Well, if Paul was alive today, and I heard someone teach this, that if Paul was alive today and he penned out his epistles, he would have a different on homosexuality. Now, that's a Sadducee. You just can't pick and choose the things you want to believe in. You know, we need to be convicted by the word of God, amen, and to follow the Bible the best that we can by the help of the Holy Spirit. So I dug into this a little bit more, and just to lighten this whole thing up a little bit, the Talmud paints these pictures uh, of, of the Phariseeism. <laughs> That's a hard one to get out, but it, it does. The thing they paint about, the, there's seven t- different types of Pharisees in the Talmud and other um, his, historical writings. The one is called the shoulder Pharisee. And he is the one who stands upright and he's got these broad shoulders, man. And he's carrying all his works on his shoulder. He's all that. He's not, never had a bad day in his life, you know. And he's kind of got that whole bobblehead thing going on, you know. Um, they, they're the ones that even Jesus warned in chapter 5. 
He says, when you give, don't give like the Pharisees, man. They, they want to do it standing on the corner, throwing it in this little oval thing that makes a lot of noise so everybody can see, you know, fill the Pharisee. Oh, sorry, I don't mean you. But the, the Pharisees, you know, look at, I'm giving today. And, you know, you're really recognized there, pal. You know, you don't do that. When you give, Jesus is given secret. He's when you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees. Man, they babble on, they want to be seen. But when you pray, you go into your closet and pray in secret. Sees you praying in secret, he's going to reward you openly in the, in, the, in the eternal. But they would actually do this when it came to a time of fasting. They would put ashes on their face, not be, not like Catholics do, whatever that ash Thursday. I don't know what they call it, but you know it's not like that. They do it to make themselves look like they've been fasting for a week. Man, I haven't even taken a bath. You know, I'm just I'm fasting today. You know. And they, and they do that. And, and listen, listen, you know, I've seen this, you know. You know, man, you're looking really bad. I'm on my fourth day of fasting. I said, geez, man, drink a shake or something, pal. You're looking bad, you know. Um, but the Bible, Jesus said, no, don't fast like that. That's the way the Pharisees do it. They want to be seen by man, you know. And, then, you know, the whole hard thing about it is, especially people that are in the ministry, you are going to be seen by man. That's inevitable. It's going to happen. But it's how do you take compliments? Do you take it here or do you take it here? Or here? Yeah, I am all that, you know. Jesus said, no, go wash your face off, man. Act normal, you know. Don't, let, don't even let anybody know what your right hand is doing, your left hand. Just so that's the shoulder Pharisee. There's another one called wait a little Pharisee. Now that's the Pharisee. He walks around very religious. He's got the garb on, and you ask him to do something, he'll say, "You know what? I'm going to have to wait a minute on that one." You know, or I'll have to wait a week, or I'll have to. I mean, they're they're the ones that all, they're always there. But when you ask them to do something, they say, "Well, I just can't do it right now." But boy, you got the look. <laughs> Your Bible looks worn out. You know, you got. But you don't do anything. But anyway, that's the way a little Pharisee. Always putting it off. The Talmud also, and this is the best one, man. I, this, I took about an hour reading on this one. It's called the, um, the bump and stumble Pharisee. The bump and stumble. Well, that's the guy. He doesn't want to look at a girl. He's got it kind of walks around like this, you know. And he's always bumping into things and stumbling over things. You know, because he's just, he thinks that that's where the evil is, is his eyes. And so he puts these blinders on. But Jesus taught on that, didn't he? Yeah, the law, I'm not going to murder anybody. I'm not going to let anybody get under my skin. I'm not going to ever murder. I am never going to commit adultery. But Jesus, well, listen, if you're committing adultery with your eyes, it's your heart that's the issue. You have heard it said of old, Jesus would say, thou shalt not commit adultery. But guys, let's be real. Um, but I say, even if you look upon a woman with lust, then you've committed adultery in your hearts. It's a heart issue. And so that's the guy, it's a bump and stumble. Then there's the hunchback Pharisee. Now this was supposed to be fun. You guys are looking at me like, <laughs> but listen, think about it though. You see people doing this kind of thing, you know? And you see that this is the guy, the hunchback is the guy who wants to look real humble, but he's always with his head up. And so he's the humpback guy. And then there's the timid Pharisee. That's the, the sixth one. The timid guy is always the guy who talks like this. And, you know, there's a bunch of guys roughhousing. Oh, I don't roughhouse. I, 
You know, you can't joke. Well, I, I don't joke. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Pharisee. You see, and I got, I got to be very timid. And you know, I mean, I, can you imagine if, if you're being mugged and one of those guys comes by? Oh, sorry. Swing harder. Now, I, I bring those to your attention because six out of seven, that's how they describe them. But there was one group called the righteous Pharisees. And they were the ones who were really seeking God's plan and purpose for Israel. Nicodemus. Elia um, was another one. There's four or five that we find in the scriptures that uh, did not approve of what the Pharisees and the scribes and the and the Sadducees wanted as far as the murder of Jesus, the death of Jesus. And so there was those that were called the righteous Pharisees. So, but anyway, uh, the fa- one of the, another problem with the Pharisees is um, they never taught with any authority. They were always quoting other rabbis, you know. There was something on divorce, you know, possibly a rabbi would say, well, according to the rabbi Halal, and then, you know, they would make all these points from Hillel or uh, uh, from the Rabbi Shammai or whatever his name was. Well, he had a different viewpoint. And so they would always question these, uh, or, uh, quote these other rabbis. And what we're going to see in verses 1 all the way down to verse 13 where the woes begin is um, what these Pharisees lacked. And I try to keep a positive spin on the word as much as I can. But there's not too many. This this is not a positive message. It's a message of warning. You know, like what does real spiritual leadership look like? And, And what false spiritual leadership looks like? And the first one, if you notice there in verse 2, these scribes, Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. Um, it, you might be reading out of another translation where it says that they have seated themselves in Moses' seat. And that's more accurate. And, and what they lack, they, they really do, they lack authority. And the reason why I say this is because they were the ones that put themselves in those seats. You know, there was 6,000 Pharisees time stumbling over each other claiming all kinds of authority you know i have authority because i follow a rabbi so and so i have authority because i embrace this teaching i have authority because i'm part of this system but it was self-made authority and gang listen if the same thing happens today within christendom there are those that go out and buy their credentials today you can go online and you can fill out the proper paper. And for twenty nine ninety five, you too can be ordained in a matter of an hour. And it's because they want that authority. But it's self-made. It's, they, they've appointed themselves. See, someone said, well then, how do you know when God is raising somebody up in the church to take on a role of authority, uh, a pastor or a teacher? I said, well, I, my, kind of, it's the same rule of thumb that Chuck and Joe has, my pastors. But he says, well, like an elder is, is what an elder does. If you appoint an elder and, uh, to be an elder and he can't make it out to a prayer meeting, well, is he an elder? 
when the elders are to give themselves to prayer and fasting. If I appoint somebody to a deacon, in a deacon, but I, I never see him doing anything in the church, well, how can I say he's a deacon? A deacon us, a servant. A deacon is, is what a deacon does. Elder is, is what an elder does. A pastor does, a pastor is, is what a pastor does. Doesn't, and isn't that, that sort of like kind of makes it easy for me. So when someone says, hey, how can I get a title? I go to the Lord, ask for the Lord for a title. I mean, but I'll recognize once I see somebody doing something in the ministry, I'm not going to hold them back. I want to see them being used for the glory of God. Amen? But they lack, they lack spiritual, well, they lack uh, spiritual th- authority. Um, the second thing in verse 3, if you look carefully, it says, of all, their, all therefore, whatsoever they did you observe, that observe and do, what they're teaching you, See, there's some things that the scribes and some things that the, the Pharisees taught that they could have embraced. They could have put these things into practice. He goes, God, you should do this, but don't do it. Do, look at the latter part of verse 3. But do not ye after their works, for they say one thing, but they do not. They don't practice it at all. Jesus said they're so so bent on um, of dividing their seeds. We'll see that in a little bit, in a little later, when it when it when we're in the woes, they're, they're teaching all these things, these laws. But when you scrutinize their lives, scrutinize their lives, well, they're not doing anything like that. He said, "But don't just write off everything they're teaching." And I have a I have a problem here. I'll confess that to you. If there's something that somebody does behind a pulpit, or maybe it's a TV teacher or something, I just don't like something they did. Just, oh, yeah. Anybody ever ha- that happens to? Help me out here. I'm feeling bad right now. Okay, so most of you, but anyway, it's like, uh, but then when they'll say something nice, it'll go right by me, and I won't because I I'm so bent out of shape what they've just did and what they're begging for, and the, but they said something that's just off the charts, and I should have embraced it. So, so we need to grow in our, in our spirituality. We need to grow in our walk where we can, oh, that was, oh yeah, I'm going to use that in my sermon one day, you know. Boy, that was a bonehead thing to say. I'm never going to use that. We should be able to do that. But he says, don't, don't preach something if you're not pre, if you're not doing it. And again, that's such a lack of integrity and a false, a, a false religious system, a false teacher, Sometimes we'll have a lack of integrity. They're going to they're gonna bind. The, I'm sorry. They're going to, in verse 4, they'll bind these heavy burdens. They're grievous to be born. They lay them on men's shoulders. Uh, they themselves, they won't even move, uh, move them with one of their fingers. Hear, hear, hear what these Pharisees are doing, man. Uh, this is the number three, what they lack. They lack um, they lack authority. They lack integrity. This is the third here in verse 4. What they lack is they, they lack sympathy. That's, that's what I see anyway. You know, and um, they, they, they're ready to put all this, these religious trips, these heavy burdens upon them. And yet, the, again, they lack integrity. They wouldn't do anything about it anyway. But man, I, I don't... Let me share just one little story to kind of to kind of share what I mean here. Um, I mean, years ago, I was just kind of going into the ministry and man, it was, it was really tough, you know, and, you know, tr- trying to work the jobs, trying to do the Bible school thing, trying to be a dad, trying to be a, a husband. Man, 
like I wasn't successful. I was struggling in school. And, all. and I, I went to this guy. He was a pastor. He was a successful pastor. A big, nice church. Nothing really. He was, he, he's an okay guy. So, but I went to him just for encouragement. You know, can you help me? Can you give me some advice? And when I sat with him, he listened to me. And then he just gave me one, 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 one advice. He said, well, brother, what you need is a proven ministry. And I just, I, didn't, I couldn't even say, what does that mean? And, I, and he just got up and said, I'll be praying for you and walked away. And, and what he was saying to me is, is you're not going to feel like you're successful until you have something that's been proven. Well, that just puts such a heavy load on me. That he couldn't even pray with me. He couldn't even lift, use one thing. Could you help me out here a little bit? I'm drowning. And see, that's what a false religious system does. It does. It lacks sympathy. These fiery brimstone, beat up the sheep sermon. And people leave and go home because they feel beat up. And listen, that's not what the Lord did. Not at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse 24, let me just read this to you. Chapter, was chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, pardon me. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth, not for that we would have dominion over you or over your faith. We didn't want dominion over We didn't want to rule over your faith. But notice what he says. But are helpers of your joy. For by faith you're standing. No, we're not here to kind of beat you up and slap you in, into, into, you know. Into, we're here because we want to be the helper of your joy. And I think that, that that's a mark of true spiritual uh, um, leadership. When you, you, you know, you're just, when you leave this place, I want you to feel like, man, this is going to be a glorious week with Jesus. I'm going out. I'm built up. I know what Pharisee is. I know what a Sadducee. And I'm not going to go that direction. And I feel like I'm walking with the Lord. Now, that's my goal for everyone who leaves these places. Us in James. Now, if you really want to know what ministry should look like, it should be like this. James chapter 3, verse 17. It says, but the wisdom that is from above, first of all, it's pure. It's pure. Then it's peaceable. And then it's gentle. And this is the, this is what, the place I want you to highlight. Easy to be entreated. It's easy to work out. They go, oh man, that was a heavy message. I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do that one, Harry. Boy, boy, I feel like I'm in the gutter right now. Sound, sound like you sang a dirge rather than an upbeat song. I don't want that. I, whatever, whatever God shares from the pulpit here, uh, or any minister shares from the pulpit, I want you to be able to, I can do that. Man, I can seek God for that. Oh, I can, and feel uplifted. Listen, the body of Christ, and especially leadership, should be in the building up ministry, the edification ministry, not the demolition. There's no gift in the Bible that says, oh, you got the gift of, you know, the demo. <laughs> I got the gift of the wrecking ball. <laughs> 
No, but it says, but it should be full of mercy and good fruit without partiality, without variance, literally, and without hypocrisy. And again, when we read the woes, he's going to call them um, hypocrites. He's going to call them blind guides. And that's exactly um, what God doesn't want from his leadership. He goes on here in verse 5, as far as these guys who just want to, you know, put these things on. They want to do their work so they can be seen by men. And they brought in their flactories. They enlarged their borders of their garden. And again, these are the men who just want to be seen for their piety. Their, you know, their, their righteousness. But to, to be seen by men. Again, Jesus alluded to that thing a couple times. Where he goes, look, don't do your works to be seen by men. To do them secretly. To do them in your prayer closet. You know, and where we'll be recognized as in the eternal, in heaven. He also says they brought in their phylactery. Now, I talked about this a few weeks ago. A phylactery is one of these, this little that they would strap to their head. And there was these cords of leather. Actually, the box I learned this week was stitched together by 12 stitches. And literally um, represented 12 tribe. In that box was, um, again... Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love your love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And that's in there, right? So the, as time went on, you know, one Pharisee looked at another Pharisee and said, man, that box looks like it's a little bigger. So then before you know it, this guy goes home, gets wifey to sew him another one together, and it's a little larger, you know? And so one guy outdoes another guy, you know? <laughs> and so he gets there like it's a cinder block on your head, or, Look what I got, you know. And what God wanted, what God wanted, is he wanted that, the Shema, right Joe? Shema, something close to it. But he, he wanted it in their hearts. He didn't want it in some box that's just going to be, see they took it so literal that it became a legalistic thing and now I got, my box is bigger than your box, you know. And my prayer robe is larger than yours. In fact, I believe it's in um, number 17. But it talks about ke- keeping a border of blue around their garments. But that was just to say that he, God wanted them to stay pure. But then next thing you know, because of the pharisaic mentality, then they enlarge it. And, and you know, you know my, my righteousness is larger. Than, and then before you know it, it was getting larger and larger. And he said, no, that's not, you got to watch out for that kind of, uh, that, that's... Um, deception. And today, if you go over into Israel, they actually starting to do the same thing. Well, it's been, it's been done, but uh, on their prayer shawls, it's an outline of blue, and they enlarge it. Enlarge. The older you are as a, a, a Jew, Jewish male, you could just keep large. Don't do that. It's not the, the way we look outwardly, but it's what's inwardly. You know, and again, hey, John, can you turn this one on? I'm going to cut this thing off. It keeps popping. Excuse me, guys. It's technology. And um, what they would do, again, is they just wanted to look like they were righteous. Well, righteousness can only be imputed to a person's life, you and I, by our faith. 
you know, the, the, we're in the word and we begin to trust God and we start to live a right onness life, a rightness life. And God's begin, he's imputing his righteousness into our lives because we believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection. There is a way to walk, a right way of walking. Um, but they wanted to outwardly demonstrate that. And he was warning them about that. He says they loved the, the, upper, the uppermost rooms at the feast chief seats in the synagogue you know so again it's almost like modern day churches today where you walk in and they have the the velvet chairs right um how many of you guys come from a kind of a denomination where they had the chairs on the platform yeah we all did I mean, a lot of it i remember I, my mom would drag me out to the episcopal church in in uh in uh um, Woodbury, the Episcopal Church there. It's a high Episcopal Church. And I remember sitting there as a kid, and I'm checking out these kind of throne-looking velvet chairs. You know, what would it take to sit in one of those babies, you know? You know, what does it take? You know, and I thought, well, that was just because it was one of these real orthodox-type, you know, uh, religious church then. Then when I got saved and I, I started going to, you know, born again evangelical, I noticed they had the same thing. They, they have all their chairs behind them for the important people to sit in. And Jesus is warning them, don't do that. You know, that's a false religious system that does that. And again, things not to be seen by men for the recognition. Some things you, you just can't help. You're going to be seen by men. But you don't want the praise. Look, look what it says. They like the greetings in the marketplace. They love being called rabbi, rabbi. You know, I find this interesting too. For the Latin word on rabbi, it's uh, doiser, the Latin word. And that's where we get the word doctor from. But it's not the doctorate that you earn. It's the honorarian doctor. It's the one who done a lot and achieved a lot and they love to go by the honorary doctor so and so you know doctor this doctor that you know and they kind of like that jesus i don't even want you to receive one of those you know um and again when we go into these titles i don't think like he's saying you know you should never call somebody by an official title trust me if trump came in i probably would say hey president trump i wouldn't call him donald john trump you know, there's a respect. I don't think he told us to be disrespectful. Does that make sense? I've been around Catholic priests where I would say, hey, hey Father so-and-so. You know, but I, I know what Jesus is trying to say. Just don't elevate men to this place where God is. And in some denominations, it's exactly what people do. People can, because they like their pastor, they think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So they've elevated him to this place. He probably, he don't even want to be. You know, and he goes, I don't want you to. I don't want you, anybody going around calling you, oh, doctor, doctor. I don't want anybody going around calling you, oh, master. I don't want you around calling you, father, father. You got one father who's up there. You shouldn't put, be putting anybody up there. I believe that's what he's trying to say here, guys. So don't, don't, um, don't, don't be disrespectful. We should never be that way, you know. You know, I had to, I just, I have deep respect. Uh, and she's, she's, I believe, home with the Lord. Mother Teresa. Um, and she said, she, she made this comment years ago. Let me think of, see if I can remember it. Um, people won't need, uh, won't realize their need for Christ until Christ is all they have. That's when you really know you need him, when he's all you have. And I had a chance, I was ministering in Calcutta. It's just this, it is the strangest place to walk through. I mean, uh. There's, there, years ago, there was 700 and some thousand homeless kids under five. 
just laying on windowsills. And she would go around the streets just feeding children. And she, she believed that she didn't want anything in her. She did Jesus be the only thing she needed. So I, I was talking to these nuns outside of the convent where she lived. And I said, you know, uh, can I see where, where she, uh, can I see her room? She had died, you know. So she, this nun took me there. I saw Mother Teresa's bedroom. It was a little bed, her cane, her Bible, and a picture of Jesus. That's all she had. And that's all she needed. You know what? It sounds weird, guys, but I, I hope one day I get to that. That's all I get to Jesus, man, you know. But because of life and because of just, but wouldn't that be sweet if that's all we needed was just Jesus? But anyway, I think that's what he's saying there. Don't call anybody. Don't elevate anyone. And reason, look what it says in the latter part of verse 8. You're all brethren. You know, you're all equal. There, there's no one better than the other person. You don't deserve, and I say this with tenderness, because sometimes I walk around thinking, I, I deserve something, you know. I, I've done all this work. Maybe I'm just this, and, and I have to, we're all brothers. We're all saved by the same grace, right? For by grace, we're all saved through faith, that, that not of ourselves. If we're in the ministry, we're all going to be rewarded the same you know, we're all going to receive the crowns just like there's nobody going to be recognized as that hierarchy, you know. No, oh, he was the pastor. True story. I was I was uh, re- I was awarded for this thing called Alumni Achievement Award from easy school I went to. And um, and they had uh, somehow they got all this information about how long I've been on the radio, how many people listen to the program, my trips to India, my trip to Africa. You know, they painted this picture. So when they come to announce me as the chapel speaker, right, the the, the description that they, you know, the introduction, I was with I was with my buddy Gil Trusty. We're looking at her and I said, "Do you believe this guy? You know, he's going to and the Reverend So and Harry, you know, and I've." But he called me Reverend, you know. So anyway, I get up there and I, I just, I couldn't let it go. I just, I just, you know, you, most of you know, I just, I just couldn't let that go. And I said, listen um, to the, the student body. I said, that's so sweet for president so-and-so of the school. That's so nice. I, a lot of things he said weren't true. No fault of his. He was given misinformation, you know. And then I went off. I said, look, I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. You know, it's for his glory, for his honor, because he wants to use the foolish, you know, and and the weak things. And everybody's, I didn't want to turn around and look at the president. Just told me, tell you, he's whacked, you know. But I couldn't go up there and teach with a pure heart with that kind of announcement. And nor shall any of us. If God uses you, it's because of his grace. And he wants to be glorified through your life. You, Christian, with all my heart, and I said to myself, we're all sinners. Give me a fat amen, guy. All right. Call no man your father on the earth. Only one is your father in heaven. Neither be called master. There's only one master. But he that is greatest among you, let him be your deaconess. Let him be your servant. Can you imagine, guys, if we all just had that mentality? I don't need anything. I just want to serve you. No, I want to serve you. Nothing will get done. Everybody be fighting who can serve who, you know. I'm just joking, but 
Imagine if we all had a... Ima- oh, imagine what could be done for the kingdom of God if we were all deaconos, a servant. If we were saying, you know what, man? I'm going to go serve the Lord somehow this day. Imagine what the kingdom of God would be like. But notice that it says in verse 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself will be humbled. He will be abased. He shall, and that, I'm sorry, he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Jesus taught on this very same thing. He says, when you come into a banquet hall, you know, don't look for that prominent seat. Don't go for, you know, the head honcho seat. He goes, the problem with that, man, you, the, the, you know, the, the guy running the party might come in, see you in that seat of honor and go, wait a minute, my friend, that's not your seat, somebody else. And then he escorts you down to the lowest seat. He goes, man, you're going to look pretty foolish. So don't ever take that top seat. Take the lower seat. Take the walk of humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Then you will be exalted. And that's exactly what Jesus alluded to when he said, but if you take the lower seat, the guests might say, oh, my friend, no, this isn't for you. This, No, you come up here. You're the guest of honor. You the Lord putting you there not yourself you know that's again just a lack of of humility I doubt if I should go into these woes tempting how about that let me read through them Greg will make his way out here I'm calling him early because this is what we're going to do next week I'll, I'll give you homework aside. I want you to read the Beatitudes along with the woes and try to see the similarities in them or the contrast and paint yourself just a beautiful picture for your own heart and we'll go over it again next week that'll be quite fun but I'm going to read through the, the woes But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourself, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, you scribes, you you know, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. And for pretense, you make long prayers. You make a long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you compass to make one to light, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever swears by the gold of the temple is a debtor, you fools, you blind. For whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold, whosoever shall swear by the altar is nothing. But whosoever upon it, he's guilty. You fools. You blind. This is his last sermon. You don't win popularity contests by these sermons. For whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift, whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, swear by it, and by all things thereon. Whosoever shall swear by the temple swears by it, and him um, that dwelleth therein. 
He that shall swear, swear by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mints and annas and coming and, and have omitted the weightier matter of the law, which, which should be judgment, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done, not to leave the others undone. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean outside the cup, the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. The blind, the blind Pharisee clean, clean first that which is in, within the cup and the platter, that which is outside that they may be clean also. Well, unto you scribes, you Pharisees, you white sepulchers indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and full of unclean, of all uncleanness. Down in verse 29, woe unto you, you scribes, you Pharisees, because you build tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers with the If you had been in the days of your father, we would have not been, for they say, if you had been in the days of the father, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Read ahead, gang. It's going to be quite interesting. Would you stand with me? So that's what spiritual or false spiritual leadership looks like. The lack of authority, the lack of humility and such. But what does true, what does true leadership look like? And I'll say this again next week. But true leadership avoids elevated titles, but they embrace, they accept the lowliest tasks. That's what true spiritual leadership looks like.